You're listening to the Rosenfeld Review. I'm Lou Rosenfeld, your host, and I'm so happy to welcome today our guest, Charlotte Lee, CEO of Castling Group, and also CEO of Monday Design Company, uh, a tech dev company and a design company. Wow, that's that's two jobs and working, um, Charlotte, if I understand it, mostly with the U.S. Congress. What an interesting niche or two. I'm not trying to count it. Yeah. That's pretty wild. Well, welcome. Thank you. Hi, Lou. Thank you so much for having me here. Well, it, it's it's great to talk with you in a public sense, but you and I have been talking for months. You, uh, I, um, Ariel Kennan, Sarah Brooks, Martha Doris, we're all working together on putting together something new. Uh, it's uh, a new civic design community and civic design conference. Uh, the conference is happening December 8th through 10th. That's the first one. We're really excited. It'll be the fourth Rosenfeld Media Conference. We're going to be at the point where we do them every quarter. Uh, but more important than the conference is the community, uh, which is the ongoing conversation. The conference is just a little polished snapshot of that. And we're, Charlotte, I think any minute we're going to have our first community event. So before I forget, if you want to know about um, our community activities and if you're interested in civic design and just design in the public sector in general, um, you can pop an info to uh, an email to info at rosenfeldmedia.com and we'll make sure you, you have the information and the invitation when, they're, when the first uh, monthly uh, community discussion is launched. But in the meantime, Charlotte and I are going to talk. And Charlotte, I, uh, I'm just really interested in that niche. So y- you're doing all this work for the U.S. Congress uh, how, how did that happen? How did you get there? Have you been thinking since uh, age nine that you just want to serve uh, your nation by serving uh, through the Congress? What, what's the story there? Um, my parents are immigrants, and like all immigrants, we only have one career path, which is change the world or die trying, right? And that's not a very good career goal, right? So I think a lot of like my young life um my dad was an inner city missionary was finding all the different angles i could try to enact the change i wanted to see because i grew up only seeing problems so i don't know how everyone else was raised but i was just in the thick of every kind of systemic problem possible like from race to uh geography to disparity and economics there was just i was just at the center of it all especially in Um, that early era of DC. And so I just grew up thinking like, this can't be it. Like, this can't be it. I have to change something. And all of my education surrounding it was trying to look for it. And what I realized one time at some point was that I didn't have any unique ideas, that I had to um, develop a skill I could contribute to many problems, that I couldn't fixate on one problem to solve. And I think that's where I went into technology and design, what if I made, um, and I'll take Buckminster Fuller's kind of thing on it, for a world design for humans, it's not very friendly. So that has been really my motivating factor is like, what can I make friendlier for humans 
in this world that is so difficult. And I think having internalized so many difficulties, it just came naturally. If I want to enact change in this era, like perhaps if it was 100 years ago, it might have been something else. But this era, it's technology. So I found my medium. I don't want to code. So I found my method, which was um, human-centered design and um, design thinking applied to complex problems in government and finding interesting problems that others have been championing for a long time who have become experts and um, kind of fusing what I can bring to their problem set to be able to help them forward their mission. And that led me to the mission of democracy at some point, which I have totally, absolutely enveloped myself in and feel it's a something I can really dig into. Very happy and honored. Well, one of the things that I've been learning from, gosh, I think I've talked to something like 53 people involved in the intersection of design in the public sector just this year, uh, is this feeling that not only do you want to take on these really hard problems because you gen genuinely want to make the world a better place, but that there's a certain amplification of that effort that you can have when you're working in the public sector. And specifically when you're working with an organization that just wield so much influence, power, and money as U.S. Congress. Definitely. Ironically, though, Congress feels very bad about spending money on themselves. They give it out, but they don't necessarily use it for themselves. So that's been a real challenge. Um, yeah, and I think to address that point, the realization was a really humbling one because my generation grew up thinking we were going to be trailblazing disruptors, right? Like, you better find something unique to do and solve, find an app, make something, right? And then when I had this epiphany that the problems that were really, truly meaningful were things that people have been carrying for a long time, and the amplification comes when the new generation takes it on with a new perspective and a new energy, that's how I met with Martha and Kirsten, some of the other kind of people who've been working in the trenches for 25 years on causes that affect us all. And then realizing, yes, I can be an amplifier and not a disruptor, not trying it new and quirky ways, but, you know, applying energy where there's already inertia to amplify. Well, may maybe in a sense, you're a disruptor in terms of how the things get done, but that the things, the causes are, are still what they've always been. What are some of the causes that you've been getting involved in through this work? Um, my most recent, most public project is called the Comparative Print Project with the House. And um, it is a clerk, House Office of the Clerk-led systems project, um, which we hope will be public one day. And it's what it's doing is addressing the problem of, gosh, all these congressmen have so many things to vote on. There's so many bills, so many words, and so much law. And they're people like us that we elected in their office. They're not lawyers, right? They, they don't like, they didn't grow up trained in federal law and policy. They're people we elected from our like constituent, you know, base. So um, when they go to vote, they truly might not know what is actually happening, that the politics that be may be very cryptic, hard to understand. And that in itself, Lou, is that problem I like is it's not friendly. It's not friendly for people to vote on legislation that is difficult and essentially ununderstood. So um, a friend of mine had asked, well, we made this natural language processor that scrapes all the bills and finds you portions of the law it changes. It finds all sorts of things because it's scraping 
this text, natural language processing, but no one's going to use it because it's so unfriendly. Can you look at the user experience of this? Can you look at how somebody might be able to use this? And by the way, this is going to be the epitome of open data and what open data can do. Um, and so I got the rallying cry of like people who had been fighting for open data and legislation for 10 years saying we've been fighting and fighting and we don't have anything to show for why it's important to open data and why it's important to be transparent because we don't have tools that came out of it. And so this is a demonstration of all of the activism of people past who have fought for, you know, open legislative data in natural or in machine readable text and what that means for the public. And that means that the public might one day be able to see this, use the tool that we're testing out in Congress and say like, oh, wow, like that changes the civil acts, civil rights act of whatever, like in that way, I didn't know that. I don't want that bill to do that. I'm gonna call my congressman, right? So um, that level of like democratizing uh, legislation, the process of the bill that get made is my current project. Uh, so that's, really wild so as you were describing that i, I was I, I don't know this if this is an accurate analogy but i was thinking of the, the congressional budget office which mm -hmm. here i'll probably totally expose my ignorance here but I, I i thought it was devised partly to help people and help congress people understand their own work from a budgetary perspective uh because like they're not all lawyers they're not all accountants they're not all financial officers or professionals uh it, it sounds almost like you're th this particular project is almost like a congressional understanding office this office is in charge of uh, legislative systems which is very particular like for example the voting machines that the members use um the card they like Put their card in so they can vote on things that is run by this office so anything that's related to the process of legislation is run by the clerk's office the cbo um what they'll do is they'll take meaningful bills um or all bills i'm not sure how they distinguish and they'll say this is going to cost this much and this is going to have this much impact on it but that is one angle of a bill right so for example if um the technology we're using is redlining so like you're very familiar with it, right? Like if people make changes to something, um, you can use Word to kind of look at it. But what if that thing that it's being changed is this very esoteric large database of current law, right? So like law that has made has is constantly changing, right? So like like the National Lou Tree Act, right? Like and. Uh, someone proposes a bill that says all trees shall now be fir trees, right? And you didn't know that. And you would never know that unless you were somebody who was tracking that. But when you read the bill, it's impossible to know that you've stricken redwood and added fir tree mm -hmm. unless you really take the time. But how many people, how many offices, how many interns does it take to track all those things and understand and absorb that? So the tool that I'm creating um, is um sort of trying to make an experience out of that so that if you're interested in the tree act you know then you can say okay like i'm going to run this bill through and see if it changes the tree act oh it does change the tree act how did it change it oh it struck out you know spruce and added fur like i don't want that so that is sort of innately what the transaction is happening with this tool that's amazing um are, are you finding that there are good models from other domains 
that have helped you in, in terms of, it sounds like almost like a, what you're doing here is using uh, uh, machine learning to, to do policy analysis in a way. Um, is there some other domain that's been useful as you created that tool to model from? I think the most interest, like most comparable for a lot of this that people think is um, LexisNexis, mm -hmm. it, you know, like those private, so it's a combination of like bringing in and opening up what is very expensive, like Westlaw or LexisNexis databases and combining it with track changes, right? So it's hypothetical instances and the technology that exists, you can look it up the hearing that we've done uh, that is what they said was technology that they're using to do this. It's just interns doing control F. So <laughs> that's also precedent, right? Like um, if I'm the subcommittee on Homeland Security and I only care about the Homeland Security Act, then I'm going to scan every bill as an intern to see if the Homeland Security Act was affected. That's the technology we're trying to replace. So in a way, there's a precedent interns. Um, in a way, there isn't any. So. Well, now that you've been working on this, does this give you um, maybe a, a different feeling about the lawmaking process than you had going in? Oh my God. <laughs> Unbelievable. Like I also studied politics in school at, at UVA. So I thought I was going to be like, yeah, you know, like there'd be a learning curve. I mean, the, it was a slap in the face plus more. Like I had no idea. I mean, people should really appreciate the CNN of it all. The like, what is outside is just the tip of it that's the tip of it so sensationalized but the work itself of congress is so complex so elegant and disastrous and beautiful and at the same time so yeah well it reminds me of a lot of uh, other large uh high scale design contexts where people make decisions uh based on decisions made by other people uh, uh who've made decisions um uh, to design things without knowing anything about whom they were designing for. And, you know, like everything just gets really spread out. And so you, maybe you have Congress people who don't necessarily read the bills or understand the bills advocating for change. And the actual work is being done by interns. Okay. <laughs> it's all very critical. Everyone yeah. is a critical of it. Um, well, we need a lot of interns on the Hill, yes. While that sinks in. <laughs> Why don't we take a quick break? I think I need one. You're listening to the Rosenfeld Review. See you in a minute. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you want more, not only do we have a whole bunch of podcasts in our archive, but we have something that's very current, very alive, and very engaging for groups. And that is our communities. Rosenfeld Media runs a variety of communities that meet on a monthly basis for video conferences on a variety of topics near and dear to UX people, ranging from enterprise experience to advancing research to design and research operations. I want to encourage you to join one of our communities. Again, it is free by going to rosenfeldmedia.com communities. Not only will you get a monthly video conference that you can listen in on and participate in, ask questions and so forth. We'll give you access to the recordings. And uh, for some of those communities, we're talking about dozens of recordings with really interesting presenters and facilitators. You'll also get a newsletter. You'll get access to 
an advice columnist. Yes, we actually are providing advice columnists for each community. And finally, if you're interested in our conferences, our communities correspond to our conferences. So you will be the first to know when, programs, uh, when programs go live, uh, when tickets go on sale, and by the way, most of our conferences sell out, and other good things about our conferences, such as uh, when these scholarship applications open up. So go to rosenfeldmedia.com communities. You're gonna find something that's free, something that's interesting, and it's a great opportunity to find your tribe as well. We'll see you there. Welcome back to the Rosenfeld Review. My guest is Charlotte Lee. We are talking about uh, the intersection of design and technology and uh, machine learning and making uh, <laughs> laws and the U.S. Uh, House of Representatives. Oh, my goodness. Uh, it's still sinking in for me, Charlotte. Uh, um, but I know you're doing a bunch of other things. Uh, what's another project that you want to describe for us? Um, I've been working with uh, the Demand Progress Organization on a product called BillMap, and we received some um, generous funding um, to just try this concept, again, using what open data is, right? Um, there's people who've been advocating for open data, but people are not sure how to use it in context. So he said, okay, like, we have congress.gov, but it's still hard for staffers and the citizens and anyone to really understand the context of a bill. So the other stuff is talking, the other project is talking about the actual law itself. Um, and this is talking about the context, which is the history of where this came from, who supported it, is it bipartisan? Uh, is, it, is it likely to pass? Like who, did it get incorporated somewhere else? Did it um, act eventually pass? Who, so, like that kind of context is what drives the action of voting, right? So there's the interns who are doing like, hey, we got to pay attention to this bill and this is how it affects it. And this is something we want to change. That's like the markup of it all, right? This is talking about the politicking of it all, right? Like, I think that we don't have to think about this, or I think this is going to pass and we should figure out what our stance is on it before, you know, we're cornered into voting. So it's called Bill Map, and you can search for legislation. And we took all publicly available data and put in all the context that we put so that staffers on the Hill were facing retention issues, right? So people used to serve for like three, four years, and now they're serving 18 months. Right. Um, as staffers, therefore, we're losing in display in um, knowledge, like retaining institutional knowledge. So we're like, OK, how do we help them um, pass on institutional knowledge? Right. Which means that, like, I'm new here. I just got this bill and I have to write a paragraph on it. And I don't know what's important about it. Just got out of college, just graduated law school. I have no idea, you know. So that bill map is trying to assist in the research and ideation is politicking that can happen. And um, again, all open data, all open code. So anyone can take pieces of it if they want. It's on GitHub. Um, and you can search a legislation and say, you know what, like, this is a history. This is a context of everything. We brought it all together. You use it as sort of an encouragement to Congress to say, hey, this was an exercise in design. This wasn't data. This wasn't technology. This wasn't even anything fancy. This was a tiny project that cared about the user's end goal, right? Like we just took the same exact data everyone has access to and designed it differently. So if you look at it, it's not new data. It's just facilitating um, the, the research process using better user experience. 
right? And that's what we're going to try to use Congress to encourage them to say, thanks for all the data, Newt Gingrich, for the, you know, like that you opened up on Congress. Like, I think he did. But uh, we still don't understand what's happening. So we used human-centered design to understand our users and address their problems. So build that. That, that. That's fascinating. It, it, it almost sounds like what you're doing is policy ontology. Oh, yeah. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Like that, that's going to be a whole new class of, uh, of, of jobs uh, in the UX space. Uh, uh, well, maybe it is already. Uh, and maybe you're the first one, certainly the first one I've met. Charlotte, I mean, it, it, it's, you know, this has been such a journey for me to talk with folks like you this year and learn about the intersection of design and, and the public sector. And every conversation I have, I see that it's richer and more complex and far larger than I ever imagined. And I know it's a huge portion of the national economy, certainly the global economy, uh, but it's just so rich. I, it's, I just can't come up with a better term. <laughs> And um, it's really a, a, a treat to be working with you and, and Ariel Kennan and Sarah Brooks and Martha Doris to try to put this all together and make some sense of it for anyone who is interested in design in the public sector context. And again, I'll put in a plug any minute. We're going to launch the civic design uh, community that Rosenfeld yes. Media is hosting and the conference is already we're working on it. And uh, we're going to put out before too long a call for uh, presentation proposals. And yes. that's exciting. I can't yeah, wait to yeah. see what comes in. I mean, talk about rich. I bet you we're just going to be blown away by, by what we encounter in people's pitches. Absolutely. I mean, defining what civic design even was and how we wanted to talk about it was this huge, amazing conversation they had with Sarah and Ariel. And I mean, democracy, you know, bureaucracy, and, you know, like, how do we do And ontology, it? don't forget that. And ontology, and the case for change. So there's so much um, that is specifically civic that we're excited to share um, and have everybody join us because this is not your work and my work. It's our work and it's ongoing work and it's, we need all the help that we can get. It's definitely not a secret society. We're always needing others to join us. Yeah, well, Absolutely. Uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, where we are six months from now when that conference is happening. Uh, in the meantime, uh, before we wrap, Charlotte, I always like to ask uh, what you're reading, who, who are you thinking about, what's going on that you think our audience should know about? Um, one of my clients on the Hill, a um, very important person, um, can't mention who, was really um, inspired by the book Humanocracy. Uh, by Gary Hamill and Michelle Zanini. And he was like, I want something like this for Congress, right? And I was like, what? And it's talking about the alternative to bureaucracy and how essentially so unhuman friendly bureaucracies are and how it stifles innovation and kindness and empathy and the way that humans are. Um, and a lot of the kind of debunking that there is no alternative to a bureaucracy, like we consider it like a necessary evil. And um, I'm about halfway done with the book and it's sort of exploring, hey, there's alternatives. Like you don't have to, that's not something you have to work within. How do we, how? And so anyone who's interested, who's like in the trenches of bureaucracy saying like, oh, this sucks, but I can't think of anything else. You know, like how do I work within it? There's definitely other people who are starting to think about like flipping everything upside down. Um, so appreciate that. Well, Humanocracy will add it to the reading list. Uh, Charlotte Lee, thank you so much for talking with us today. You've been listening to the Rosenfeld Review. We'll catch you next time. Thank you.
Thank you, Lou. Thanks for listening to the Rosenfeld Review brought to you by Rosenfeld Media. If you like our show, please subscribe and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast platform. I'd love it if you tell a friend to have a listen and check out our website for over 100 podcasts with other interesting people. You'll find them all at rosenfeldreview.com.